Hello, money makers and money savers. Welcome to episode five. What happened with GameStop? I'm your host, Dustin Dubey, and this is Finance Fundamentals, where we learn how to stop working so hard for our money and learn how to make it work harder for you. This podcast is entirely based on my experiences and thoughts. I am not a financial advisor, and the thoughts and expressions you hear on this show are my own and are not reflective of my employers, past or present, nor my guests. I am not liable for investments that you make or strategies that you implement upon listening to my show. Now, back to the show. So you've heard about GameStop, right? Most of us who remember GameStop remember trying to trade in a PS2 game as a kid that we paid 40 bucks for and being offered $5 store credit and a half drink Gatorade. Well, that's not quite the GameStop of today. Did you get involved or are you personally involved today with a long position? Did you have diamond hands? Did you hold and want to see it go to the moon? Do you still want to see it go to the moon? Or did you sit on the sidelines and have FOMO? Or maybe you had no idea what was going on. Well, let's explain what happened with GameStop, AMC, and a variety of other stocks earlier this year. It was a bit of phenomenon, and I'm ready to break it down for you. In case you missed it, here's a quick recap. It certainly has been one of, if not the most talked about stocks of the year. And this week, it hit $380 a share. There's no way you could have avoided this story over the past few days. And on one meme stock we have been following very closely, that is GameStop. On Reddit's Wall Street Bets. Elvin Capital Management, this is the hedge fund that had shorted uh, this company that had effectively been attacked by an army of investors. One subreddit in particular called Wall Street Bets, which has around 3 million subscribers. And that's where a lot of these retail traders, the quote unquote amateur investors, are gathering to discuss their stock purchase. Okay, so hopefully you heard of some of that in the past. Special shout out to listener Brandon O from Maine. Brandon asked about retail traders and how they are becoming a much larger part of the market. Brandon, this is an excellent topic and fits in nicely with today's discussion. So let's dive in. First, let's chat about how retail traders are becoming much more involved in the market. Remember back in episode three when I talked about the robo-advisors and now these variety of individual trading platforms like TD Ameritrade, Webull, Robinhood? Well, they've really cornered a new area of the market. Traders like you and I can make decisions and buy and sell shares as we see fit. We don't need to call our advisor or send a wire transfer anymore. It happens at the click of a button. And while that offers plenty of opportunities for us, it can also be scary if we're not careful. Today, retail investors actually own only about 30%, represent a very small percentage of U.S. trading volume. The number is rising, but just to give you an idea, the New York Stock Exchange revealed that trades by individual investors represent, on average, less than 2% of trading volume for NYSE listed firms. And there's still no question that US security markets are dominated by institutional investors. Okay, so a little story for you. I posted something on my social media feed in January about the GameStop situation. I had no idea the response it would get. It was shared dozens of times and received hundreds of likes and comments, and it kind of inspired me to start this show and share my voice. Many people messaged me and said, this is the explanation I needed. So thanks to all of you for motivating me to start this podcast. Okay, so you want to understand what happened with GameStop. 
it wasn't just GameStop. A number of companies were tied up in this, but GameStop is the most prominent with the trading symbol GME. So first you'll need to understand what a stock short is. Quick history lesson for you. The practice of short selling was actually invented in 1609 by a Dutch businessman, Isaac Lemaire. He owned a large portion of Dutch East India Company and was the one who was credited for writing these contracts on the Amsterdam Stock Exchange. The London banking house, Eel, James, Fortis, and Down fell apart in 1772 as they shorted the East India Company stock on a massive scale. So shorting doesn't come without risks. The term short has been used since the 17th century, and Jacob Little, who had the title Great Bear of Wall Street, began shorting stocks in the United States in 1882. And shorting was widely blamed to be a contributing factor to the Great Depression, following mass shortings in 1929. And the U.S. government created significant regulations following this time. Okay, so you have a bit of history, but what is shorting? Well, shorting positions or short positions can be achieved through futures, forwards, or options where the investor can assume an obligation or a right to sell an asset at a future date at a price that is fixed at the time the contract is created. They put downward pressure on the underlying stock, driving down the spruce of shares, and they are very complex and hard to follow, so there's a lot of criticism for short selling. Throughout history, governments have even banned or restricted the practice. Shorting is a high-risk practice. I repeat, high-risk practice, and I do not recommend. So a few vocab words for you. A future is a legal agreement to buy or sell something at a predetermined price. At a specific time, it's a contract between a buyer and a seller, and they're publicly traded. A forward is essentially the same thing as a future, but it is privately traded. Okay, so I mentioned options. Here is where you are not obligated, but you have a right. This honestly could have an episode of their own, but overall it gives you the option, not the obligation, to buy or sell an asset at a specified price. This is called the strike price on or before a specific date. They can be done by private parties or they can be traded on the markets. So you may hear about stock options, bond options, puts, and calls. Stock options, basically this is part of employee compensation, it's equity compensation, and you have the right to buy a specific number of shares of company stock at a set price, the exercise or strike price for a fixed period of time. There's usually a waiting period, say three to five years, and they're used to attract talent or employees like you since you could own company stock at a discount. Assuming your company does really well in three to five years, you could be getting a serious bargain on the price others will pay in the future. Can you imagine if you had locked in on shares of Amazon three to five years ago? Bond options. You have the option to buy or sell a bond at a certain price called the strike price by an expiration date. Puts and calls are in options trading. Put options are most commonly used in the stock market. It gives the holder or the purchaser the right to sell an asset at a specific price. Again, that's called the strike price. By or on a specific date. Expiration maturity date to the writer of the put. The writer is the seller. And you have the option, not the obligation. So you buy a put when you have a negative feeling about the future value of a stock, and you have the right to put it up for sale. Call options are most often used on the stock market as well. And it gives the buyer of the option the right, but not the obligation to buy a quantity of a stock at a specific date, expiration date, at a strike price. The seller or the writer is obligated to sell it to you if you decide to buy it, 
you pay a premium, which is for the right to buy that. And you have the right to call away the stock from the sellers. Let's go through an example. You're in the market to buy a house. You're really excited to purchase a property nearby and it is selling for $500,000. But there's just one problem. There is an empty plot of land less than half a mile down the street. The land is under development for one of two purposes. It could be used for a plot of luxury townhomes, which obviously would have a positive impact on the house in question, or it might be to build a power plant, which will negatively impact the value of your home. In this scenario, I'll be the homeowner and the seller, you'll be the buyer. Okay, so you wanna buy my house. You have the $500,000 cash up front, but you're too nervous about the land down the street. You don't want to wait until my house gets sold to somebody else, so you offer me $5,000 right now if I take it off the market. This is the option premium for a call option for a strike price of $500,000 with a two month expiration date. If you don't elect to buy the house, I keep the $5,000 and you walk away. If you elect to buy or exercise your option, then I still keep the five grand and then you pay me the 500 grand. So your only obligation is the $5,000. See how you're protected here? Well, if during the two months, the land turns into luxury townhomes, well then the value of my house probably increased. Too bad, I locked into a $500,000 sell price, even if my house is not worth 550. You exercise your $500,000 option, and you're obviously going to exercise because it's an easy $50,000 profit. Okay, in the other scenario, the power plant gets built, my house drops to 450, you don't wanna exercise, I keep your five grand, and you walk away and you're free to search elsewhere. The third scenario would be that nothing happens during the two months and we don't know who will build on the land. You can exercise your option or you can walk away, but the most you are accountable for is the $5,000 you gave me. Okay, so you now understand call options. Put options are a little different. We'll discuss that in another episode. If I had a lot of interest in the home, such as a multitude of buyers, I would have required probably more than a $5,000 deposit. I may have asked for 10 or 15. Okay, so notice how in the scenario above, you're only on the hook for five grand. Well, that's not what happened with GameStop. Shorting is much different than option trading. So let's walk through an example of this. I wanna short a stock. It's selling for $10 on the public exchange. I effectively borrow one share from my broker and agree to give it back to them in a specific amount of time. And I immediately sell it for 10 bucks. I still owe my broker that share, but if the stock price dips to $5 in the time, well, I buy it at five bucks and I made myself a nice $5 profit when I give it back to the broker. I smile as I've made my money and I walk away. Now imagine this being done by a hedge fund, but instead of a retail trader shorting a handful of stocks, they short tens of thousands of shares. Now this doesn't come without risks. It's not always good. If the stock price goes up to $15 instead, then I'm out my five bucks. I still owe my broker that stock. I sold it at 10, I had to rebuy it at 15. Here's the problem. The sky's the limit for how high the price could rise, and I still have to give it back to them in a specific time frame, so my losses could essentially be indefinite. So the GameStop scenario falls into the shorting category. A hedge fund called Melvin Capital, whose founder Gabe Plotkin, decided the price of GameStop was a little high. We all know that mall retailers have been slowing for a while, even before the pandemic, and 2020 did not help. And GameStop, who's been focused on physical video games and trade-ins, didn't really look to have a strong performance strategy, since most gaming is moving to online downloads, 
they shut down a bunch of their underperforming stores. Ryan Cohen is the co-founder and former CEO of company Chewy, which was acquired by PetSmart in 2017 for $3.35 billion, and he's an investor. He now owns over 10% of GameStop, making him the largest individual shareholder, and he's actually now on the board. He and some current members want to turn the business around. All right, so back to Melvin. Melvin decided to short the stock. In fact, they've been shorting it since 2014, when GameStop stock was only $40. They borrowed the shares from a brokerage and immediately sell them, and Melvin still owes those shares back to the brokerage. They hope the price goes down. So they make some money easy in the process when they buy back the shares at a cheaper rate. So when you flood the market with a bunch of shares of stock, it makes everyone else say, uh, what's going on here? And it motivates them to sell their shares as well. And the price starts to drop. So Melvin is betting the price will go down in a way they're kind of responsible for it dropping since they hold such a large portion. Well, normally... Last year, when the shares fell as low as $2.57, Melvin Cap had their GameStop short. Even after members of Reddit, Wall Street Bets subreddit, started attacking Melvin for short last fall, the hedge fund was adding to the position. And Melvin's quarterly filing of its publicly traded equities, which became public, shows that they had increased its listed put options on GameStop during the final quarter of 2020 and they shorted an additional 600,000 shares via put options for a total position valued at more than $113 million at the end of that quarter. And so Melvin keeps shorting and shorting and shorting until they and all of their friends have shorted more shares than there even are available on the market. They've shorted about 140%. So you're probably scratching your head and thinking, how can you short more than 100%? Well, you can actually short more than what's available. So let's say Walmart issues 100 shares of stock, and a fund wants to short that stock. And so you borrow 50 shares, and they sell them to an institution. And that institution makes a lot of money on stock lending. And another hedge fund comes around, and they also want to short Walmart. That institution lends them 50 shares, and the fund then goes out to sell them on the market. This means that there are now more shares sold in shorts than are actually available. And it can be a pretty endless cycle of borrowing and selling. Doesn't happen often, but this is a great example. A large Reddit community called Wall Street Bets started attacking Melvin for its GameStop short last fall, and they decided to band together to fight back. They saw, well, if Melvin needs to pay back 140% and there's only 100% available, the price is going to increase. And the Reddit community starts buying and buying and starts ruining the party of Melvin Capital. They see an opportunity, and they saw Wall Street is bearish, and some Reddit users were bullish for a variety of reasons. Maybe they think there is actually some significant value at play here. The company did really well in online downloads over the holiday season last year, over 300% increase, and they see that as promising, not to mention the leadership shifts that I mentioned earlier. So, Brandon O., this is where your retail traders come in. The more people that buy a stock, the less supply, more demand, thus the price increases. Simple economics. And a guy named Keith Gill was kind of the mastermind behind some of this Wall Street Bets activity. When Melvin needs to buy back shares to pay back their broker, there aren't enough shares available. You see, Melvin needs to get those shares back to the broker by the expiration date. Reddit users decide to hold, kind of stick it to the man. 
So now Melvin Capital needs to buy any shares available to pay back their brokerage. But so was Reddit, and the price continued to rise as demand rises and supply decreases. And Melvin Capital is desperate. Reddit's proving a point. Not a good combination for Melvin Cap. And this is the short squeeze that you probably heard about. You see, this is where things get a bit fishy because Robinhood, which is a trading platform many of you are familiar with, as well as a few other platforms, decided to tell the community, sorry, no shares for sale here. Redditors look at this and say, um, hello, this is market manipulation. The reason being, Robinhood said, you can't buy your shares here, but you can sell them here. Makes sense, right? And this is great news for Melvin Capital, since they can now buy the shares back that they needed when you, individual retail investors, could not. And for those of you who think maybe Robinhood was innocent, well, their parent company is Citadel. And guess who bailed out Melvin Cap when they couldn't meet their short return? Citadel. Yeah, I was a bit upset too. And the official story that Robinhood told everyone was that they had to stop purchasing of new shares because they didn't have enough money in their bank to do all the trades. Robinhood restricted buying on 13 stocks, including GameStop, AMC, Naked, and others on January 28th. So prices naturally would have to go down if you can't buy and only Melvin can, which was good news for them. Things were looking up, but there's a bit of an issue. The Reddit community decided not to sell their shares. They said, we're going to hold. We're going to stick it to the man, down with the patriarchy, that sort of thing. And the hedge fund lost more than 50% of GameStop stock surge is now facing nine lawsuits from retail investors alleging conspiracy to restrict trading. Big deal. Elon Musk, Mark Cuban, and a number of other popular business figures jumped on board and started tweeting about this and putting out YouTube videos. Elon even tweeted, Game stonk with exclamation marks. Stonk is a bit of this jargon used in the Wall Street Bets community. Basically, it's talking about meme stocks. We can get to that another time. Some bought shares. Others just supported the cause, but a lot of celebrities bound around this, and sometimes it feels good when the little guy wins. At the time of this recording, GameStop sits about $170. It hit about $450 at its max, pretty wild considering it was only $2 in April of 2020, and Melvin Cap lost a stunning 53% throughout this entire saga. $460 million of this was actually Plotkin's personal money, and the hedge fund said it closed its short position on GameStop on January 27th. If you want to learn more about shorts or the mother of all shorts, do some research on Volkswagen in 2008, as it caused hedge funds to lose over $30 billion. So shorting might sound exciting to you, but I really want to warn you. With short selling, there really is infinite risk. There's no ceiling on how much you could lose if you decide to short a stock. Anyone can do it, but I caution retail investors from using your hard-earned cash in such a risky position. I in no way recommend you go out and short a stock, and I'm not necessarily recommending you go out and buy GameStop either. All I'm recommending is learning about what's happening right in front of your eyes. We are actually living through the next big Netflix documentary, and there's a lot to learn from this. This is one of the many market topics we'll discuss on this show. Together, we'll own that road to financial freedom, and I'm glad you're joining me for it. Special congrats to listener and friend Brandon C. from Charlotte. He just passed his CPA exam. You are officially a certified public accountant. Did you know that accountants are the person in a business enterprise that actually knows what's going on and has the least likelihood to be able to do anything about it? I'm just playing. 
This is a huge accomplishment and you should be proud, Brandon. Congratulations. Roll the end credits. If you haven't given us a review on Apple Podcasts yet, please consider doing so. It helps people find the show and see your thoughts. If you'd like to support the show, you can do so right through Anchor. The link is at the bottom of the description. You can give a monetary donation monthly of $1, 5 or $10. You know you can find a dollar to support our show. 12 bucks a year? Come on. I know some of you spend more than that in a week at Starbucks. Every donation helps to improve our equipment, editing, and website build. Thank you for consideration. I want to hear from you. Have a topic you'd like discussed? A suggestion? You can contact me on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, email, and more. Check out the description for my link tree. I look forward to hearing from you. The show is written and edited by me. Produced and edited by Daniel Rue. A lot of work goes into these episodes, and we really hope you enjoyed them.